NAMS MedCast is the official podcast of the Student Coalition of La Asociación Nacional del Español Médico. Hola a todos and welcome back to NAMS Medcast. My name is Rafa and while I'm usually behind the scenes today, I will be one of your hosts for today's episode. Uh, today, I will have the pleasure of introducing our NAMS Medcast Student Spotlight Series where we feature students passionate about medical Spanish and their endeavors establishing medical Spanish opportunities at their institutions. Buenas, me llamo Kelly y I will be Rafa's co-host for this episode. Please welcome our two student spotlights, Aldana and Enrique from Michigan State University. Hola, Kelly and Rafa. Muchas gracias por las introducciones. Uh, my name is Enrique Cáceres Navarro. I'm a third-year medical student at Michigan State University's College of Human Medicine and one of the co-creators of our case-based medical Spanish course at MSU. Hola, my name is Aldana Garcia. I'm also a third-year medical student over at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Uh, I'm so excited to be here today, and I was also one of the co-founders of our medical Spanish um, course at Michigan State. I want to share a little more about our medical Spanish course and kind of what it uh, what it entail. So our course was for first and second year, so preclinical year students. Um, we kind of open it up to all levels, beginners, intermediate, uh, and advanced Spanish speakers. And for the instructors, um, we had a innovative idea of, of bringing in different folks, different specialists, different physicians that were an expert in that field. Uh, for example, for women's health, we had an OBGYN that was a native Spanish speaker. Um, and then for our uh, pediatrics, we had a pediatrician that was also a native Spanish speaker. So that's sort of what we, how we formatted the class. And it was virtual. So we had um, six sessions that were online delivered via Zoom. So um, that's a brief introduction about our course and what, what we did. Yeah. And along with the kind of like, um, in lectures led by the instructors. We also had support from Spanish-speaking pre-medical students that served as standardized patients that Alana and I work with to train and use as kind of like the innovative and different component to ensure that um, students were able to to practice their, their Spanish during the course. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that background. So when developing your program, what were some aspects of your program or curriculum that you really wanted to incorporate or ensure were present? Um, and what aspects of your curriculum are more unique or innovative, would you say? Yeah, thank you for the great question. I think one component that we really wanted to emphasize was ensure that students had that practice and didn't just have lectures or feel like they were um, regurgitating words in Spanish, but rather that they were having a space where they could speak the medical Spanish terminology and also get um, constructive criticism from the kind of like faculty members, but also um, native Spanish speakers that have experience in, in this field of medicine. I think another point that that's really important to emphasize is that we wanted to create a practical course, right? We know that as medical students, we are limited on time. We are limited on the resources that we have, but one aspect that we really wanted to make sure that we accomplished was that the students learn 
things that were applicable to their clinical practice, right? So if they learn how to introduce themselves to patients, how to do a history and physical, and they can utilize in clinics, then that's really what we wanted to make sure that they had those tools that were really easy to implement and uh, make sure that they get their, their, that experience, that right away feedback with their standardized Spanish speaking pa- uh, standardized patients at the end of the class. So that's sort of our biggest thing, kind of uh, practicality and applicability of the medical Spanish that they learned. Fantastic. Thank you so much for all of those tidbits. Honestly, it's really important. I'm really excited to have you guys on the podcast just because you've really built something, uh, in my opinion, really, really special and really, really sustainable and engaging based on your initial presentations and our, our initial engagements with you guys. It's one of the reasons why we definitely wanted to have you on. Um, what's really surprising, and I know you did a lot of this remotely initially, which maybe made some of the communication a little bit easier, but you guys built a really thorough network of resources in terms of faculty and students and basically putting a bunch of different people and lining them up uh, towards this effort. Can you guys talk a little bit about how you actually went about finding faculty sponsors uh, from a bunch of different disciplines, like you mentioned, some of the challenges you maybe faced and some of the sort of tangents or workarounds that you maybe considered? Yeah, so um, it was challenging at first. It took a lot of meetings with the deans of um, our school's department, reaching out to them, getting buy-in from them to begin with, because we honestly didn't have a kind of like Spanish course course scheduled for um, that semester. And we were getting a lot of um, kind of feedback from our own peers that they wanted to get that practice and, and and felt like we needed to have something established. So it started off with just meetings with the deans within our department, emphasizing that need and kind of like demand from um, our own peers. Um, from there, kind of reaching out to local networks within Michigan um, through kind of like community partners and kind of then um, choosing instructors from there and kind of like starting off our intermediate course or kind of like general course um, from there. Um, now that we kind of like were able to collect data from that, we kind of were able to create something more sustainable and we're able to identify a faculty member on campus to kind of help lead our efforts. And we're able to kind of get someone hired as an instructor who could lead um, that introductory course. But it definitely was an iterative process. It took a lot of um, working with administration, showing them the need, and most importantly, kind of having that data to back up those um, needs that um, we were kind of like verbalizing to them. Yeah, I agree with everything Enrique said. And I think another point that, you know, I want to emphasize, and this is a million dollar question, it's like, how do you sell your program? How do you emphasize that you need that support, right? That you need, that folks, students want to engage in this sort of learning environment. Um, I mean, just to give you an idea, we had over 100 people sign up and people reaching out from all over Michigan to participate in the course that was only open to 30 spots. So the need is there. Um, and but sometimes, you know, we just need to bring awareness that this is needed in our community, right? Um, another thing that I want to emphasize is how we got so many um, standardized patients that were pre-medical students that were native Spanish speakers. So through that, I reached out to LMSAFE, Mi Mentor, Pre-Hill Dreamers, and really outreached to all those communities that have a lot of pre-med students that are native Spanish speakers. And they got the, the chance to really get to network with faculty, get to network with medical students. So it was like, a you know, uh, re- really beneficial for, for all of us, right? Um, they got to see how... Um, 
how students are graded during their patient interviews, what that looks like. Um, so, I mean, just really creating this um, a ladder of networking, right? And really making sure that you incorporate as many folks as you can and give the opportunity to those that perhaps want to kind of engage in medical school and medical school education, but I haven't had the chance to. But to, to emphasize, I want to uh, really ensure uh, say that all the um, faculty instructors, as well as the pre-medical standardized patients were all native Spanish speakers. So that was their first language that they learned. Yeah, and just to reemphasize kind of what Alana was saying, it really took a community effort to really be able to uh, create this kind of elective possible. And we're just really grateful that everybody was able to like come together and make this possible and is something sustainable that we're able to kind of like have at MSU. That is just so amazing. You know, I think when we're, our ultimate goal with a lot of these initiatives is not only health equity for our Spanish speaking patients, but also, you know, helping the next one in line and creating a better community of bilingual physicians. And so having that approach where not only are you reaching out to native speaking clinicians, but you're also reaching out to native speaking pre-meds and allowing them to all mix and increase encouraging those networking opportunities. That's huge. That's um, that's more than just teaching medical Spanish. That's creating a really strong community and is definitely something to be proud of. Um, Enrique, you were mentioning, um, and Aldana as well, how you kind of used your data to drive home to your deans, you know, that this need is there. I mean, the presence was palpable from you both, but how did you go about data collecting and how did you use it to drive home your points? And even how do you plan to use it going forward? Yeah, I guess um, to start off, uh, we could just talk about some of our research goals when we were kind of like going through the IRB process. Our first goal was to understand uh, medical students' perceived um, curricular needs for medical Spanish education. So understanding whether or not they were receiving enough curricular support, um, whether or not um, they needed more curricular engagement and what that would look like. Our second kind of like objective was to evaluate the effectiveness of our own case-based medical Spanish curriculum in achieving educational objectives. So whether or not they felt like they were more competent uh, kind of like leading a history of present illness, going through the social history, medical history, and through a whole kind of like medical interview overall. Um, and then kind of also collecting open-ended kind of data to um, understand what other needs we weren't able to capture with our um, own questioning that we had made. Um, and from this kind of like research, we've been able to do a lot, we've been able to do a lot with faculty and also uh, presenting at the MOLA conference and kind of like showcasing some of our findings that have been consistent with previous kind of like research findings and some of some newer findings that um, we found from our own research. So um, we're excited because we're looking at publishing our data and um, finding ways in which we could share um, some of our findings from, from this research. I think my my... My friend Enrique said it all. I think that's really what we're trying to capture and really ensuring that we showcase our work, right? Uh, we want to raise awareness that medical Spanish is needed and ultimately we need a nationwide curricular curriculum, right? Uh, we need uh, folks to realize that the need is there and we hope that our, our data, our, our program 
and the model that we use can really help those uh, other students really take initiative and, you know, um, take on their leadership roles and uh, make it happen at their institution as well. So we're very excited to have that. That's currently in the works and we're hoping to publish by the end of um, the spring of 2023. Buena suerte con todo. Um, this is all just so wonderful. You know, you're not only making changes at your institutional level, you're also contributing to the literature around medical Spanish, which is also incredibly understudied at this point. And so those are all just great initiatives that are all towards the same end goal. And um, we're just so glad to have both of you here to teach us how you do it and um, show us the inside scoop per se. Sí, es de maravilla uh, what you guys have been able to manage realistically. And then just the fact that you're injecting yourself like really professionally and and with goals that are long term. Um, obviously, uh, you guys saw a very tangible need for your schools and your communities. And I think a lot of people in medical school who are pre-meds, anybody involved in healthcare is kind of aware that some of these um, some of these resources are needed and are usually the people pushing for a lot of especially the language based care, especially at least for Spanish. Um, at a lot of home institutions. I know you guys like me, we train in Michigan. Sometimes there's not a, uh, a ton of fairly observable needs. So I'm, I'm glad that you guys were able to find all of that. I'm wondering though, and obviously everybody's school is a little bit different, but I'm wondering um, given the fact that you guys train out of Michigan State, if there was anything in particular that you thought would make it very more or less feasible for you to start a program like this and to sort of set up a, an accredited medical course the way that you guys said that'll see dividends much further in the future once you guys graduate. Yeah, of course. So at MSU, we kind of have this um, unique ability to create some student-run electives. So that's kind of like the approach we took when running kind of our um, Spanish-based uh, medical um, curriculum. Um, just having that flexibility to run a student elective while also providing um, kind of incentives to the students that they would get a grade for the course allowed us to not only get um, buy-in from faculty, but also from students who um, would get something out of the course, not only from the language aspect of it, but also something that they could then show to um, residency programs afterwards. And um, that's something that's very, I can think unique to our school, but I think every school has like a system or a way that you could find that you could give kind of like med students a, some form of credit, um, not just like on their transcript, but potentially on their MSPEs or other kind of um, documentation to show residency programs that they in a way um, participated in a medical Spanish curriculum. So yeah, thank you so much for all your kind words. We're really happy to be here. I do want to share a little more about how Enrique and I started collaborating in the first place. We were both LMSA co-presidents at our uh, medical school. And we really had this idea um, that we really wanted to ensure that we create a sustainable program that's going to be run even when we're out of there, right? Because sometimes we are always used to being the minority students, right? The Spanish-speaking students are really advocating for our patients. But well, we have to ensure that, you know, that, that there's more to come of that in the years after we graduate. We're not in medical school forever. So um, that was our goal from the beginning and something that we kept in the back of our minds the entire time as we were planning the program. Um, so we worked together and now we kind of pass the baton to other LMSA co-presidents too to ensure that this is still um, 
held and it is organized in this and structured the way that we had planned it and make changes as needed, right? No program is perfect. So as you learn um, after you hold your sessions, you hold your classes, you know, you have to make sure that there's someone actively advocating for that program and ensuring that that's still in place at your institution. So for us, it really makes sense to pass that baton and, and really give those leadership roles to the incoming presidents of LMSA chapters at our school. Um, and so I, I, I challenge all of you to explore that idea of really finding a student group, if it's not LMSA or another um, student org that can really uh, hold a leadership role for the medical Spanish course and ensure that it happens every year and that they really keep up to date, right? Everything's always changing. Things are not static. So you have to adapt and change as needed. So that's why it's always good to have leaders and uh, something that's um, in, in writing, written in paper form and sustainable so that other student orgs and student leaders can um, plan every year as well. And to add on to all that Alana kind of like mentioned, it's also important to have like that faculty buy-in. And in our case, um, Dr. Smart is the one kind of in charge now of kind of um, putting together all the Spanish, medical Spanish um, infrastructure at our school. So having that student involvement, but also having that um, faculty kind of like buy-in and um, responsibility to ensure that kind of like this is sustainable past past us and past just um, student responsibility. And I guess that sort of speaks to the importance for like a longitudinal reality, given the fact that you guys might not be in medical school forever, but like faculty are at least there for longer than you are, right? And in theory, like faculty are there, deans are there longer to sort of build and modify the curriculum as needed with like continued student input with groups like LMSA or any applicable student group at any institution. That's really, really solid. Yeah, Rafa, exactly. Like you said, like that's that's the important part. And I think something that I want to to always share with students is that your faculty advisors, your biggest supporters might not look like you. And that's OK. Right. Realistically, there's not a lot of Latino, uh, Latinx uh, faculty in medical schools. So it's not going to be always realistic to find someone that looks like you, that comes from the same background, that also speaks Spanish to be the faculty advisor. And that's completely OK. Um, they have been our biggest supporters, even if they don't speak Spanish themselves, they realize and they know that our patient population, especially in Southwest Michigan, really needs our help, really needs to make sure that we learn not only the language, but also the cultural component. OK, that is I mean, that is vital. So just don't be afraid to reach out. Um, don't be afraid to share your background as to why you feel the need that this is important. Um you, you know that the need is there. You just have to make sure that you will share it with others. And that's really all that it is. But uh, don't be afraid to reach out to those that perhaps don't come from the same community as you. Absolutely. And actually, I wanted to, you had alluded to something just briefly there that I wanted to ask a little bit further too, is obviously language and culture are very much intertwined and it's not necessarily easy, especially in like a Zoom setting, for example, in this, in your um, program situation, how did you guys go about trying to address and inform and teach about culture alongside language and how did that process work for you guys? Yeah, thank you for the great question. So um, something that we worked closely with kind of each provider that led each course, um, we kind of emphasized that we wanted them to um, talk about cultural and kind of like language differences in each of their lectures, um, as we thought it was very important to kind of like highlight the diversity and um, kind of like Spanish languages and cultures um, throughout 
Latin America. It's very wide. It's very diverse. And not, I think not one single Spanish speaking individual knows about every single kind of like cultural language practice in Spanish because it's so wide and different, even within the same country. Um, so in an effort to kind of like try to get at that cultural and language diversity, we also tried to ensure that we had instructors from different parts of Latin America to kind of like try to ensure that we touched on different like cultural and language um, practices in, in that way. Um, but yeah, it's really hard to learn um, all of language and cultural practices within a um, six-week program. So we really want to emphasize to students to be opening to be open to new kind of like experiences and continuing to learn. Um, and this is a lifelong kind of like process. Um, learning Spanish, learning medical Spanish is a very um, like complex kind of thing, and incorporating those cultural practices and is very important. But it's going to take. Um, continuous kind of like engagement um, as a learner. Absolutely, uh, Enrique, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's just being realistic with your goals too, right? That That's what comes into play where we're creating your medical Spanish course. Our culture is so rich. Um, it's so beautiful. And it's really hard to kind of share all that in, in a matter of six week course. But I think just kind of really sharing, um, having the physicians, we encourage them to share their very personal stories with patients and some of the challenges they face when um, treating um, our uh, Spanish-speaking patients and our Hispanic, Latinx patients. And, you know, some of the most sensitive topics that we have in our communities, like mental health was a really big one, women's health, reproductive health, um, and really making sure that we can address maybe those those different perceptions that you know our culture has in those topics and how that conversation might be a little more challenging than with other patients right so just bringing that awareness but ultimately we did encourage our students to uh, maybe do some rotation with spanish-speaking communities or really go out of their way to practice those skills because like enrique said it's impossible to teach that all in six weeks but we did we really tried our best to have physicians share those personal narratives that i think stick more than just um, throwing facts at students So just as a closing question to both of you, muchísimas gracias, Aldana y Enrique, for such a wonderful discussion. So for our listeners, for our student listeners who are trying to develop programs like the one you've cultivated at MSU, what's your biggest piece of advice? What um, can you pass on to our listeners as some wisdom in creating medical Spanish programs? I think I can go ahead and go first. And I just want to say, find someone that you can work with. Find a colleague that shares the same vision as you. When I tell y'all, Enrique and I talk damn near every day, and he's my bestie, and we work really well together, but I realistically couldn't have done it without him. And that's what you need to find. You need to find someone that's going to counterbalance you and making sure that one can take lead when the other one is busy. Medical school is busy, and we are all students first, and we are going to be future physicians. So I want to ensure that all of you thrive academically and do really well. But we also have strong goals, right, within our um, our educational pathway. And we really want to ensure that we advocate for our Spanish-speaking patients. Uh, as a Latina myself, I'm Argentinian, and uh, my first language is Spanish. I knew that this was my goal. I'm finding Enrique, who shares the same vision, what's really uh, the key to all this success of this program. I couldn't have done it alone, right? We are all so, so busy. 
So just find someone that's, you know, that, that works well with you and um, really connect, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to your faculty. Don't be afraid to take initiative. Don't be afraid to start from the ground up, you know, just looking at research, finding those, those mentors, those physicians that have done the work. You don't have to fully reinvent the wheel. You just have to make sure that you make it applicable to your own community, right? Um, We're busy, busy medical students and that's our first role, but we work so many hands in our communities and it is very doable um, during your clinical years. That's when we and Enrique uh, did it. Um, but that, that really is key. Um, you can definitely do it. And I, I challenge all of you to go for it because it has been so, so rewarding to see how much interest there there is in our community as well as other schools within Michigan. Uh, we currently have very exciting news to collaborate with Central Michigan University um, School of Medicine so that they can implement our curriculum as well and really help them create a sustainable curriculum as well, really share our findings from our research, how we can improve our course and continue making it better and learn from their experience and their outcomes at their school. So don't be afraid to collaborate. There's there's not a lot of Latinos uh, in in the Midwest, in Michigan, where we are at, but we are so much stronger when together. So uh, that is my last piece of advice. Yeah, no, I think Alana summarized that perfectly. Um, and I guess one kind of like key point I wanted to highlight from kind of like her key takeaway is um, finding that faculty member that's really going to um, fight for you, is going to really be in those meetings, who's going to bring up kind of like your med Spanish course during the curriculum development uh, meetings and really kind of like advocate for you and um, what your your kind of like goals are. I think having them in behind kind of like those closed door meetings is really going to make sure that you're able to kind of have a su- successful kind of medical Spanish course and kind of like work through the systems that we sometimes um, don't always understand, but they sometimes have more of that power to kind of navigate those systems. So making sure you have that strong connection and finding someone that's going to be an advocate for you and also just helping each other kind of how Adana mentioned we're working with CMU and um, other kind of med schools are reaching out to us to see how they could implement or do something similar at their school. So it's all about working with each other and ensuring that we could all um, um, work together and create our own programs at our respective institutions. Realistically, like I, I'm just over the moon right now. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. As someone who trains in Southeast Michigan, um, in Detroit, you know, you guys can always reach out if you need anything, but it's also really good that there's a network and resources um, outside of my own local community that you guys can build and that we can reference people towards because it's sort of a reflection that the need is everywhere, but that people like you are doing so much fantastic work, even though you guys haven't finished your training. And I'm just really excited and I wish you both the absolute best, both for the remainder of your medical training and moving forward, because I think you are both going to do fantastic things. Thank you, Rafa and Kelly. Sí, muchísimas gracias por su tiempo y por todo lo que hemos hecho esta noche en el podcast Aldani Enrique. Y a nuestros oyentes, we hope you enjoyed our first Student Spotlight episode and that you return for more of our medical Spanish content in el futuro. Nos vemos pronto.